Belcourt. Uh, I'm a Mitchell artist and a mom. Uh, my ancestry is from Lac Saint Anne, Alberta, and I presently live along the north shore of Lake Huron. And I work within a collective, uh, artist collective called Ornament Collective. My name is Ivan Murdoff. I'm from Sacred First Nation, a Tibetan community along the north shore. I am a father and I am also one of the Ottawa members. And how did you come to be a part of the Hashtag Call Response Project? We were invited by Maria Huffield and the, the others who are putting together this, this project. So, so what is your view on reconciliation? Right now, there's, um, after the TRC finished and, and presented their final recommendations, it seemed to be sort of a frenzy of reconciliation projects and people using the word reconciliation um, to mean reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. But the way that uh, I see it and the way that I've been thinking about it is that um, reconciliation cannot proceed without the return of stolen land because the entire premise of, of Canada as a country is that it's built upon the dispossession of Indigenous people from our land. And so all of the things that we have um, endured and all of the things that we are still going through in our communities um, are directly related to that dispossession. And so the conversation around reconciliation seems to sidestep this, you know, what they call the elephant in the room. It seems to sidestep the, the main um, thing that has caused all the problems. And so uh, my view of reconciliation is that I don't actually even uh, believe that reconciliation is possible at this point. And not only that, the emphasis of, uh, like, as part of the result of the dispossession from our land and, and um, settlers' views of land as being a commodity, uh, it caused us to disconnect from the land in such a way that we are no longer following the uh, original instructions of how human beings are supposed to live in harmony with Mother Earth and with other species as being equal to us and not us being above them. I agree with Christy. I think that all over the country, people are sitting at dinner tables really talking about the land. They're talking about uh, not only being able to have land, 
will live a traditional way of life, but they're talking about how do they protect that from the industry, uh, from the uh, major uh, farming or agricultural activities that, that replace the natural prairie grasses, that replace the, the buffalo. So people want to see a resurgence of buffalo and the natural ecosystem of the plains and water prepared as a part of reconciliation. But I think that it seems so impossible that a lot of people don't talk about it. But it certainly is in the hearts and minds of the business of all of us. And can you talk about um, who you all are responding to in the project that you've created for Call Response? Our project is, is focused not on human-to-human relationships because we believe that reconciliation, we need to reconcile our sacred alliances and our sacred agreements that we have with the animals, the waters, the plants, and Mother Earth. And because of, of the dispossession and, and the disconnection, to the earth, not to say that indigenous people are disconnected to the earth, but to say that um, a lot of what reconciliation in the context of human relationships does is it ignores the very important and vital relationships that we have with uh, everything else. And so our project focuses on, on reconciliation um, in a spiritual sense with with everything because everything is interconnected with each other it's impossible to separate us from everything else and how did you um, what materials did you choose to use and how did you choose to um, bring that focus into a material object we actually used a buffalo rope because we thought that that the buffalo needed to have the attention of the reconciliation for the human Because the buffalo have been eradicated to just very small populations to the point where they have to inbreed. And they were the, the species on the continent that completely gave life to everything because they reseeded everything. But they provided a balance to the ecosystems. And it seemed like there was no reconciliation happening with one of the greatest nations that's possible, buffalo. So we actually chose a buffalo robe as a way to to show our respect and admiration of the reconciliation And so that was uh, a choice that we had so that we could um, go maybe put our own, our own um, agenda aside and see this and really looked at how can we reconcile the tragedy of the Holocaust that's a place So that's that's part of the reason why we chose the Buffalo first. And what type of imagery did you choose to incorporate in this work? We actually put uh, water uh, spirits into the into the imagery. And we felt that was very fitting because for the most part, indigenous people all over Turtle Island would make the offerings to water spirits. And so 
we felt that it was very important to include them into this project because we wanted to showcase that this is now more than ever. And in the center of the Buffalo World, we have a young lady practice for the waters so that they can be clean and healthy for the next generation. And do you feel like this, um, this idea of water, do you, do you feel like there's something that we are need, needing to remember as human beings regarding water and our relationship to it? And do you feel like this is a, this is a story that kind of has, um, been, uh, beginning to be unearthed in a, in a wholer way right now for for all of humanity and for indigenous people in particular? Well, I think the indigenous people always had a long history of, of treating water really precious and that they were always making their offerings to the water. And it really got disrupted up with the colonialism and the uh, you know, church and those types of things. So we forced uh, the, uh, the foreign religious to pause the indigenous people um, some of the beliefs and values changed for some people. But there were some people in the backwoods of the far plains that were able to hold on to these traditions. Um, so we're really thankful for that. And our hopes is that people will be able to, to see things in that way, where we need to continue to give offerings to the water and pay tribute to what the water does. Not, not as, as a way to fix this problem, but as a way to to have a new beginning where we can demonstrate a way of life where that's normal. I think also when we look back into the history of, of human beings across the planet, we see we know that um, not just Indigenous people, but everywhere, uh, women, uh, particularly grandmothers, were responsible for sacred places and responsible for sacred places and, and water sources. And the connection to the moon and the ceremonies around moon and water were all done by women uh, all across the globe. And those ceremonies and those connections are still there. And it's pretty hard when it's in the DNA of human beings that goes back tens of thousands of years to remove that out of out of all of our systems. This is still there. So when we think about what's happening with industry right now, we look and we see the destruction of water everywhere uh, through fracking, through um, oil pipelines, through tar sands, through nuclear, the threat of nuclear waste. And uh, every everywhere we look, mining and industry and agricorp, they're all threatening the water. And so it's no... Um, coincidence, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence, that it's women who are tending to take the lead in starting protests and trying to say, look, what, look what's happening here. And so the need to reconcile our relationship to those spiritual beings that are in the water and to the water itself and to understand that our lives here on Mother Earth are are deeply interconnected with every single living thing. I think that this is the natural state of human beings and that what we're seeing is a rejection 
the beginnings of a rejection of the capitalist, individualist uh, ways of thinking uh, towards um, a more um, harmonious thinking and way of living in in harmony with Mother Earth. And so we're seeing this, like, for example, in Standing Rock, but there's many places in um, uh, north of the border as well where there's protests going on for uh, against pipelines and tar sands expansions. Um, the issue of water has really come to the forefront um, in the in the past probably 20 years, and there are certain uh, heroes and leaders that that we uh, have taken cues from. For example, Josephine Mandaman, who's uh, originally from she's a grandma. She's from Wakumakong First Nation, and she walked all the way around each and every Great Lake, great, all of the Great Lakes. Um, she's done water walks along the St. Lawrence along the traditional Anishinaabe migration route. And she's really started a revolution uh, for the water with water walks. And so uh, when I think about, um, when we think about reconciliation, we have to think about how do we reconcile our relationships that, that have been severed um, through the colonial project, I suppose, and uh, through our own um, you know, oppression of the last 150 years, now that we're coming out of that, uh, then we're getting stronger. And our relationships to the natural world is, uh, have existed for so many thousands of years that it's only natural that we begin to look at that again. As an artist, how do you feel like your work can help to engage reconciliation in the in the way that it needs to actually be moving through through our bodies at this moment in order to retouch with the with the animals and plants in nature? I think that there's a really fine line between art and ceremony. So when you look at a lot of indigenous art in the past. Um, they're all ceremonial objects. And so art and ceremony, I think there was a really fine line or maybe they were one of the same. So when you look at, for example, clear photography or photography, um, you know, that was all done ceremonially to, to tell a story of what happened or what was going to happen. And so I think that through this project, we were able to display a little bit of that. So we, we feel that, that it's, it's a, because it's a safer object, 
that uh, that it's a ceremony that will last on that buffalo for years to come. And I think that a lot of people connect to the image, images and uh, uh, what it stands for, especially during this time of water and threat over the Would you like to add anything, Christy, about how you feel art and your art in specific may play a role in reconciliation? Um, no, I mean, I completely agree with what, what Isaac just said, that uh, for me to compartmentalize art is a little bit difficult because I don't actually see the, the separation between art and ceremony and life. So it's all one and the same. And so our, our intentions go into the image. The image carries on. The, somebody else feels from that image. It, they, they make an offering. You know, it's, it's, all, it's all wrapped up together. And so it's really hard for me to speak about... I, I always find that that's the most difficult question whenever I'm being interviewed is how does my art, you know, how does, how does art influence or impact anything or what does art do? Because I really don't, I don't think even, even though I'm immersed in it, I don't think I really understand, understand it fully. I don't, you know, but I understand that art has power but I don't understand how it's separated from life or from ceremony. And do you, either of you have any opinions on, so we're thinking about reconciliation, we're thinking about our awareness coming about of being on this planet and responding to it. Do any of you have any insights on what you've learned from starting this conversation in your minds and with each other that you can share to other people to begin to respond to nature as you are beginning to? Well, I think certainly what we're hoping to kind of achieve is to get people back onto the land and to explore the ecosystem to find out how they can help. And so that's what our, our whole goal is, is to have people reconcile with the land rather than the better. Because I think that that that's so important because I think as we move forward as a as a people and as as the chicken being, I think first and foremost our reconciliation needs to be last off in the waters. So I think that our hope is to try to encourage people to go in that direction. But more emphasis needs to be placed on that. And that through that reconciliation to the land that we're able to find a common ground amongst each other and that we'll be able to build those healthy relationships that we need, you know, to, to ensure that, that this doesn't happen again. Because I think that part of the problem is that things are really unhealthy. Things are really dysfunctional. So I think it's time for us to start up. And I think that when you go to the land and when you, you look at the, the precious, you know, uh, just the precious that's out there, that, you know, it, 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 it kind of resets people. It's like a reset button when you go out there. And when you go out there with, with whoever, it doesn't matter, Native, non-Native, any ethnic group, everybody feels connected and people feel closer together. They want to work together. I think going on the line really creates a lot of good opportunities. 
I would like to just step back a minute and ask a little bit about um, the Anaman Collective. Um, if you could describe if if the current work that you're doing for the call response project is a is a large shift from the work that you usually do, or if it's just kind of flowing into the original trajectory of the collective and what that might be. Um, the Ottoman Collective is is three of us. Uh, it's Isaac Murdoch, Aaron Consuel, and myself. Um, and we are have our hands in a lot of different things. We and this work within call response fits perfectly with the work that we that we are doing uh, generally, which is uh, trying to reconnect people with the land, trying to create opportunities to bring youth and elders together uh, for land-based activities. Um, we a lot of what we do incorporates ceremony um, into our our activities. Are sometimes we have um, uh, it's all about language resurgence, revitalization, and uh, and revolution for a new world, a different kind of world, a world that respects uh, Mother Earth, a world that sees that the land and waters and spirits and other species have rights, and um, and so everything that we do is all. Uh, a mishmash, a beautiful, you know, mishmash of blurred lines between art and ceremony and life and elders and language and youth. Yeah, it definitely seems to be like a flow all the time. It seems to be we keep going back to the same sort of philosophy and ideas that we try to use different ways to get there all the time. So one minute we're building a birch bark canoe, the next minute we're having safe tape ceremonies. And the next minute we're taking buffalo rolls and we're having a language house. And so it seems like we just keep circling our, what we're trying to achieve. And we're just, we're just exploring with ideas like all the time, which is fun. Um, but, it's just, but that's just it. This is all really fun. And it's, uh, it's really rewarding to be with those Ottoman collectives and those questions. And is your primary outreach towards Indigenous communities, and and where do you all travel? Um, yeah, it's it's uh, generally we work with um, youth around the area where we live, mostly. Um, but yes, we're right now we're in Saskatchewan. Uh, we were in Alberta just a couple days ago, and a few weeks ago we were there, and we're heading towards Manitoba in a few days, so uh, we do t- tend to travel um, all over. We're having a, a face painting ceremony tomorrow in uh, Saskatoon and then uh, in uh, Winnipeg on Saturday, so there's a, a, quite a bit of travel involved, but but really um, we also spent most of the summer, or at least a good five weeks in the summer, uh, harvesting birch bark for Wigwam and for Canoe, um, uh, just north of where we reside. So um, we were out in the bush doing that for a while on the land. We had youth out there. Then we had an art workshop as well. And we had some language lessons out there with elders and youth. Uh, Then we had a traditional food camp on the land. Uh, So it seems like we try and 
just maximize our our time as much as we can on the land of working with community and working with people. Um, and there's no no real set plan in terms of um, you know we don't we don't plan on growing. What what we plan on doing is just uh, trying to stay as grassroots as possible and just uh, continually working to try and fund our initiatives because we don't uh, we don't go we don't have like an administration or an office or anything like that. We're just a, we're just a small group of artists that are just trying our best to work with our communities. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of it. We have total uh, creative uh, control over what we do. Um, you know, it's rewarding. It just makes us feel good. And I think that uh, the formula that we have where we kind of explore everything and keep circling our objective is just really working for us. work, it seems like you all have always been responding to nature, to plants, to animals. And so when the call response project came about, it's now for me hearing your story, it seems very natural that you would choose nature as your respondent. And do you feel, do you feel like doing this project has brought that understanding out more for you in your work? I think it's, it's it's all part of what we do anyway. So like a like the same thing. It's hard to really know. Sometimes it's hard to know the impact of what you've done until much later, or how it's affected you until much later. So uh, other we did other activities in the year um, in terms of making offerings to the land and things like that, which were you know all part of it, but. It's really, um, it's really hard to know how this is, you know, if it was, if it's going to have an effect on us, as opposed to because we're always looking for how can this help, you know, how can this help communities. So what we want is when people see that buffalo robe, we hope that something will touch them, um, because. As a, as a human being on the on the earth, they are also connected to everything, and so we're hoping that people who see this will will somehow feel uh, their own connection to the places and and the, the, the beautiful places where they live. 
Yeah, I think that's really that's in a nutshell. I think that that's what we're trying to achieve. We want this to spread. And what are your future plans um, as far as continuing to to spread this 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 way of being, this way of integrating all of these practices of art and ceremony? Will you continue to keep traveling with your work together as a collective, or are there solo projects that you all are going to be embarking upon? What's what's kind of happening for you all next? Um, our, the major thing that we're that we're pushing towards now and have been for a while is uh, to build a permanent cultural camp, so a culture camp forever. It's a, a place where we plan to build and have language, culture, youth, elders come together to learn traditional skills on the land, but also do all of these practices. Uh, not in a workshop setting at all, but in a lived setting. So uh, planting um, seeds from uh, indigenous plants and uh, harvesting those seeds and keeping those seeds, very important. Um, understanding how to, the protocols and the spirituality and the ceremonies around harvesting certain animals. Um, how to live actually on the land. Um and also to language is really connected to all of this. Language is vitally important to all of this. And so to have the elders there is really important. And to have this uh, permanent culture camp, um, for lack of a better word right now for it, uh, is, is really our goal. And so we're working towards that. We're working towards fundraising so that we can have a place uh, to be Indigenous people without interference of, um, of any kind of government, government um, to, to just be Indigenous people on the land 24-7, you know? Yeah, that's, that's always been our big idea and dream is to be able to have a camp in the bush where we're able to help rekindle Indigenous languages and, and the cultural practices on the land. And we've gathered a lot of support over the past couple of years, so so we're pretty lucky. Is there a particular person in your community or in your in your time of doing this work that has influenced you in a way that you could share to bring inspiration to other people? Something that you want, either of you might carry with you to keep this inspiration going for this work? The elders, the elders, and the youth. The others have been just amazing because they just they show so much support, and they've just been a, a continuous striving uh, bundle of goodness. And so we really get gain our strength uh, from the elders, and we get our encouragement from the youth because we see them working so hard, and we see them struggling to try to achieve um, the indigenous ways on the land. So it's really rewarding to see these two. Groups uh, of people come together and actually uh, rekindle and, and save some of these processes for the next generation. Everywhere we go, the youth are saying the same thing. They're not crying for education. They're not crying out for a career or some sort of, uh, you know, success in terms of 
the Western view of success. Everywhere we go, we hear the same thing from youth, which is that they want the language, they want um, the culture, they want to understand uh, how to survive and, and, and cultural skills. This is what youth are asking for, Indigenous youth are asking for everywhere. And um, and so we're seeing a, a kind of a a little bit of a, a shift in thinking where people are not necessarily wanting to pursue uh, formal education the way that they may have been encouraged to in the past. What, what youth are asking for, because what they see is what's happening around the planet. They see the destruction of the earth and they, they see the pollution that's happening and they, they're very worried. And they're wondering, you know, why they're inheriting such a big mess that they didn't create. And the best thing that we can do is give them hope for the future and give them the skills and the understanding and the cultural things that they're yearning for, that their souls are, are needing and their spirits need for them to feel whole and complete as human beings. And so without all of the, without language and without culture, they're not feeling whole and they're feeling worried. But when they get, when they, you know, are engaged in Indigenous practices and ways of being and knowing, they're finding that um, that's what's making them feel whole and complete. And so we, we just, you know, we love our people, we love our communities, and we love this planet. And we want to do everything we possibly can to give the next generations everything they need and everything they want and everything they deserve. have any advice that you can offer to young people who are just starting out, just beginning their career as artists or as just conscious human beings, conscious indigenous human beings on this planet? Any any seeds of advice that you can offer them? I would say just continue, explore, and you know, be free about it. And you know, to take chances but to not listen, you know, to, to what everybody tells you because oftentimes it's, it's your own personal instinct. It's your own gut instinct on something. And so I believe that, you know, we, we need to, to really believe in ourselves but also to believe in others because when we believe in others, we somehow empower ourselves. And that's not contagious and people can read off of it. 
I would also add that um, the land is the best teacher and the waters are the best teachers. And the land, uh, the plants, the animals themselves are the best teachers of all. And so even if they're in an urban setting or they're in a place where they feel like um, they don't have their language, they don't have their connection to elders, they don't have connection to ceremony. Um, they're not. They're not alone. You know, our ancestors come with us wherever we go, and that connection that they have to the land is right there. And all they have to do is actually go to spend time on the land. And another thing that they, uh, that young people, that we always encourage young people to do is to fast to go find a way to go and fast and seek their vision because that's going to give them the strength that they need to carry them through through the hard times in their life and the hard times that are coming. And so we always um, encourage young people to make that connection to the land because there's, there's things that the animals can teach them that are much more profound than any human being uh, could ever could ever teach them, you know, whatever any human being would say wouldn't be as profound as what, what an animal might teach them. And so there's, as an Indigenous person, the first teacher is the land itself. And so don't don't forget that and that they're not alone and just keep going. I think it's the connection to the land. I think that the land is the greatest teacher. So I think that there's so much to be said on that. And do you feel like uh, the land is a is a thread that constantly c- keeps coming back to you all um, to to ground you in your work and to keep you going? Do you find yourself in urban urban settings with your work, or do you maintain your work mainly on the land? Um, well, sometimes we go into urban settings, and. Um, you know, because we're we're asked to go there. Um, but what was your question again? Is the land a constant thread for you to keep you connected to your work, keep you centered? Just like the advice you were giving to the youth, do you find yourself able to use land as that tool for yourselves still today, even if you are in urban settings? Yeah, land is everything. It's exactly... It's, it's, we're not separated from it at all. We are literally water and land and air and stars. We're, we're not, so it's impossible to, yes, it's, it's a constant thread because it's who we are. And, um, and the land always teaches, and there's, you'll never live long enough to know everything that it has to teach. And the more that you, the more that you uncover, the more you realize how, much, how little you really do know. <laughs> so it's almost like the, the longer you live, the, the less you really know, the less you recognize that you know. So yes, the land is a constant teacher, doesn't matter how old you get. I think it's the center of actually everything that we do. I think that's our, our, our goal our center. And whenever we find ourselves going in a direction that seems weird, it doesn't take us long to recoup and say, holy, you know, like this is, uh, what is it? We can go back to where we started. 
we do that quite often, actually. It's really fun. Thank you for sharing that in that way with with the audience and um I just have one more thing to ask. I feel like um you all have shared in such a in such a good way about your project and your relationship with your work. Um but before I ask the last thing, is there any is there anything that you would like to add about your experience um, in creating work for call response, any anything that you haven't had a chance to say yet? Well, I would just like to thank uh, everybody for the opportunity because it was really, really meaningful and it was inspiring and it just opened so many doors to create more stuff because now we want to paint more robes, have more uh, crafts that we want to explore, more concepts that we want to explore to photography. This is your soapbox moment. If you each could say one thing to the world using this as your platform, what would it be? Advice, story, quote, a rant, something something to ripple out. I'm probably going to go out on all in here and say this. We need a revolution. We need something different. We need a new beginning. And we need it right now. We can't wait. As we speak right now, microplastics are devastating everything on the planet. The water is being polluted everywhere, and over half the world's streets have been cut down. The polar ice caps are melting into the sea. There's pipelines that are zigzagged across every part of every part of everything in this world. We've gone too far. I believe thousands of years from now, they're going to look back at this time in history with a too late to try to destroy the earth. They're going to be telling the sacred story that we're in now. I believe that we're in a legend, a sacred story that will be told thousands of years from now. And knowing that, I believe that right now is the opportunity to create the next part of the story. And we have options. We could be extras in this story and just sit on the fence and not do nothing. Or we could be evil villains. Or we could be heroes. And I believe right now is the opportunity for indigenous people, Canadian, always just to come together and save this planet. Thank you so much. Christy, would you like to have us a, a soapbox moment? <laughs> oh, God, no. That was, uh, if I could say anything, that would be exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> 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 I was going to say, we need a revolution. We need a revolution in this world. And now is the time. So I I don't have anything more to add than that. That was good. That was perfect. Well, thank you both so much for taking time. I understand how busy life is. And thank you so much for doing all of the work you do. Thank you.